day so far at the Life Christian Church. I'm a happy pastor today, seeing all of you, all these new members, knowing we have a lot of, lot of beautiful people, uh, still the largest crowd joining us online. Hope you're well. Hope to see you soon. Uh, so let me begin today uh, telling a story I've told before, I've written about, but I, I haven't told for a long time. Um, it's a story of uh, how a number of years ago, I was uh, on the board of uh, the New York City Leadership Center, now called movement.org, and was a part of a small team negotiating with the Global Leadership Summit, uh, which is headquartered in, in the Chicago area, to bring the Global Leadership Summit and its live uh, simulcast to a variety of local churches in the New York City metropolitan area where thousands of New York City leaders would be able to be trained by this world-class event called the Global Leadership Summit. I think they have something now like 200,000 people register for, uh, for this event. So anyway, uh, uh, it, we, we struck a deal uh, somewhat complicated, but uh, uh, I was uh, given the task of helping to champion this concept to local church pastors and leaders from all over New York City, and they planned a big event at the Venerable Bowery Mission in the city where all these pastors and leaders came together, and I was to be one of the speakers uh, and uh, to, to try to move this thing forward. The truth is, I was excited about it. It, it was a big deal. It is a big deal, and um, uh, I was looking forward to being one of the speakers. Nonetheless, uh, the, the, the day was supposed to happen. It was a hot, humid summer day, incredibly hot. And I made the mistake of uh, working out on the treadmill until the last possible moment to jump in the shower, get dressed, get on the train, get into the city. And uh, though I took a cold shower, I sat in an unair conditioned car on the New Jersey Transit. And by the time we got out at Penn Station, me and two guys from the staff of that, Thomas Mahoney and Andrew McLeese, who many of you know and love, uh, when, when, we, when we got out at Penn Station and got up to 7th Ad Av Avenue to walk the four blocks to Madison and 31st, I was already sweating profusely and, and regretting that I had worked out so late. And uh, I'm supposed to get up there and be dignified in front of a bunch of leaders and make a great speech. I was, I was running late. I was sweating profusely. My collar was literally soaked. I had a jacket, a tie. I was supposed to look good for this, right? And it was somewhere around then 32nd and 6th where the bird cow found me. I say bird cow because though I know cows don't fly, the magnitude of the mess that fell from the sky was of such significance that it had to have been a bird cow. I was hit so hard on the left side of my finely tailored blue jacket that it knocked me off stride. I don't know exactly what this bird cow had been eating, but evidently a lot of mustard, peppercorn, and seaweed. And I'm standing there just a few minutes away from needing to give this talk, and I am an absolute wreck. I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm excited, I'm late, I'm sweating profusely, and now I am seriously damaged by this laser-guided atomic bird thing that has hit me. And so, so it was such a serious moment that the two guys were with me, you'd think they'd laugh. There was no laughter at all because I was about to mess up this event that was so important, really, for in, in one way, for the future of leadership development in the, in the church in the New York City area region. And, and, and so though there, there was a Dunkin' Donuts. Those guys ran into the Dunkin' Donuts. I, I don't remember exactly why I guessed to find napkins. And I turned around, and miraculously, there were doors open into a church. And I frantically ran into the church and looking for a priest or a restroom, but there were gates blocking off the hallways. There was just this beautiful lobby-like area. I, again, you have to understand, part of this is funny and part of it isn't. I was totally discombobulated, but felt rescued when I saw this beautiful basin of clear water. 
with a fountain pouring out of the wall into this basin. I was the only person in the lobby until the two guys came running in with the napkins. I go over to the basin. It seems like a logical thing to do. And I start rubbing this mess on my jacket. And the truth is, it's just getting worse. And I'm frustrated. And I'm hot. And I'm sweating. And I'm anxious. And I'm nervous. And all this kind of stuff. And then in my disorientation, I realize a crowd has gathered behind me. And I look around at these people lined up and it was clear they were very unhappy with me. And then I realized I was cleaning up this mess in the holy water. Which I regret. And which I shouldn't have done. But which in that moment I did, I was utterly humiliated, immediately stopped, turned around, started apologizing as I walked down the line. Somehow or another, got to the mission, found an air-conditioned room, cooled down, got my jacket cleaned off, made the speech, the thing moved forward. I was a small part of it. But here's the point I want to make with that crazy story. Stuff happens on your way to your destiny. Stuff happens to all of us on the way to our destiny. Sometimes it's what I will call lowercase stuff. You know, something like I just said, really a small thing in the big picture of life. But there's lowercase stuff more important than that. The boss doesn't like you and won't promote you. A star employee decides to take her talent elsewhere. The coach likes another player at your position better than you for some reason known only to her. You battle with a chronic but treatable illness. The tenants damage your house. Your industry undergoes intractable changes. One of your kids has a learning disability. They're going to be okay, but it's it's a challenge for you. And then there's what I would call uppercase S stuff, which is to say the really big things that happen in life that, that change everything. You lose a loved one. Your marriage falls apart. You're diagnosed with an incurable illness, that kind of stuff. The fact is, in ways large and small, we all face resistance on the way to our destiny. We all face resistance on the way to our destiny. Now, in recent weeks, we've been discussing how to write a better story with our lives. We've said that the basic structure of a good story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. A significant part of any good story, as I talked about at length last week then, is how the character of the character is transformed as he or she overcomes conflict to get what they want. Necessary to writing a good story is a character who wants something, and for us, that something must be something in line with God and what he wants for our lives, who overcomes conflict to get it, and the conflict is necessary because it's in the conflict that our character is transformed. Well, any of us on our way to our God-given dreams are going to have conflict to overcome. In fact, it seems the bigger our God-given dreams, the more conflict we must overcome to actualize that dream. James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, another way that we've talked about this in the past is in terms of the resistance. The resistance. Stephen Pressfield, the great novelist, wrote a book called The War of Art about how to do the work necessary to create something great. I've referred to this a number of times over the years, and I know many of you now have read Pressfield's wonderful book about how to do our work so we can get to where we've dreamed we should go. And this is what Pressfield wrote. He said, most of us have two lives. The life we live and the unlived life within us. Between the two stands resistance. To yield to resistance deforms our spirit. It stunts us and makes us less than we are and we're born to be. If you believe in God, and I do, Pressfield says, you must declare resistance evil. 
for it prevents us from achieving the life God intended when he endowed each of us with our own unique genius. Resistance cannot be seen, touched, heard, or smelled, but it can be felt. We experience it as an energy field radiating from a work in potential. It's a repelling force. It's negative. Its aim is to shove us away, distract us, prevent us from doing our work. Now, Pressfield writes that from a non-classical Christian theological perspective. And it's kind of fascinating hearing it come from him. But in a Christian uh, doctrinal sense, and in the great cosmic sense, there are three primary sources of resistance. And these three primary sources of resistance are are, are able to function in this world as a result of the fall. When I say the fall, of course, I'm referring to the decision made by humanity in our Genesis to try to be like God instead of serving him, worshiping him, and partnering with him in his good purposes for humanity and the world. So these three primary sources of resistance are, first of all, the world. When you're trying to be good and do good and everything in the world seems to work against you, well, that's just the way the world is for now. It hasn't always been that way. It wasn't that way in our Genesis. It became that way because of the choice of humanity. It won't always be that way because at the end, all the bad is gone and only the good remains, but it's the way the world is now. Secondly, there's the flesh, or I prefer to use the language uh, of the New International Version, our sinful nature. Because of the fall, we inherited the nature of Adam and Eve. We were born in sin, and sinning comes naturally to us. No one ever had to teach their child how to sin, how to disobey. Am I right? You didn't have to give a lesson on, on how to do what you want to do in a way that's, that your parents tell you you shouldn't. The fact is we were born in sin and sinning comes naturally to us. Our sinful nature wants to operate independently from God. However, if we've confessed our sins and confessed our faith in Jesus who paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, then we've been born again and we've received a new nature. We don't identify primarily as sinners anymore. We, we identify primarily as people who have been declared righteous through Jesus Christ. Yet we know that our sinful nature and our divine nature continue to struggle against one another and this is part of of the reality of our lives now. And it will be that way until the consummation of all things at the second coming of Jesus. And then third, the third source of resistance is the devil. Now, you may say, Pastor Terry, you seldom mention the devil in your teachings. And that would be exactly correct. I, I don't. Uh, and it's very intentional. I have absolutely no desire to put the focus of my attention on the evil one. That's not what we come here to do. We come here to put our focus on Jesus. But having established that, we can't ignore the existence of the devil either. Not if we're biblicists, not if we read scripture and believe what it tells us. And I'm going to take a, a, a little bit of time today, I haven't done this for uh, I, I think, according to my records, probably four years since I've done any thorough teaching on this subject. I'm going to take a little time today, and I'm, I'm going to focus on this part of the resistance. Uh, I'm going to focus on the work of dark spiritual powers that try to keep us from living the life God dreams for us. Uh, again, it's been a while since I've done it. It'll be a while probably until I do it again, but I really felt to do it today. So let me say it like this. Obviously, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus not only believed in the existence of the devil and of demons and of a dark world of evil powers, but he claimed personal knowledge of the devil and spoke openly and often about him and confronted dark powers repeatedly in his ministry. 
In fact, if you'll study it, some two-thirds of the miracles of Jesus involved him using his spiritual authority to wield his power over the forces of spiritual darkness in some way. This is not an obscure teaching of Scripture. The Old Testament gives us a glimpse of the supernatural conflict between good and evil, but the New Testament immerses us in open spiritual warfare, particularly in the ministry of Jesus. So I could say this, I believe in the existence of the devil, literally, because I believe in Jesus. And if you study the life and ministry of Jesus, this was something that he constantly spoke about, encountered, dealt with, and ultimately defeated, and through faith in him gives us the power to defeat the dark powers of spiritual reality as well. So let's just say, for instance, you open the Gospel of Mark. And this is what you'll find when you read any of the four Gospels. You open the Gospel of Mark and you find Jesus immediately is thrust into an encounter with Satan himself. We're told, Mark 1, 12, he was in the wilderness, Jesus, 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And then when he wins that battle, he begins his ministry in Mark's Gospel by teaching in a synagogue. We're still in Mark 1, Mark 1, 28, 21. And the people were amazed at his teaching. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. This evil spirit cries out and says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The answer to that question, by the way, was yes. I know who you are, this evil spirit says, the Holy One of God, to which Jesus says sternly, be quiet, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. That's just, you know, the first few verses of Mark's gospel. As you read through chapter after chapter after chapter, you come up against this confrontation that Jesus brought with evil spiritual powers. And then the followers of Jesus, they continued on in the same way. For instance, Paul and his, and, and again, it's not obscure. This is, there's a lot of this in Scripture uh, so let's say the Apostle Paul, for instance, in a very famous passage on this subject, talked about how that we have to confront the devil's schemes. Ephesians 6.10, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then, as Christianity has developed over the last 2,000 years, this is a fundamental part of a Christian understanding of the world and a fundamental part of a Christian understanding and interpretation of Scripture. C.S. Lewis, for instance, the great Oxford professor, intellectual powerhouse, Christian apologist, and author of many uh, books, uh, Mere Christianity, The Chronicles of Narnia, and so on, wrote something famous and important in the introduction to his screw tape letters. This is what he said. There are two equal, there's a lot of wisdom in this statement, there are two equal and opposing errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. That's one error into which we can fall. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Again, great wisdom. On one hand, it's an error to disbelieve in the existence of these evil powers. On the other hand, it's an error nearly as great to obsess about the existence of these evil powers. And what then uh, Lewis writes, they themselves, the evil powers, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist who doesn't believe in the existence of the devil or a magician, someone who's all into these, this spiritual stuff, uh, with the same delight. So we must not obsess nor ignore the existence of the devil. We 
also must learn to face this part of the resistance. Let me say that the resistance I think we face most of the time is resistance we face just because of the way a fallen world is. And the resistance we face because we have this part of us, our sinful nature, that wants to operate our own way and not God's way. But then there are times when we face resistance that emanates from the world of dark spiritual power. And I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I didn't every once in a while bring us back and remind us of this fact. Okay? Everybody okay? I realize it's a different kind of subject. You know, and I understand someone sitting here saying, you know, I'm, I believe in God. It took me a while to get to a place where I believed in God, but I, now don't tell me that I, I also need to believe in the existence of a devil, you know. Um, but, but the fact is, uh, it's difficult to find a better explanation for the existence of good and evil and the conflict that rages between good and evil than the explanation that's given to us in the Scripture. That evil is personified in a being who has power over a vast army of dark powers. And so there's a battle between good and evil occurring in the world of the spirit that impacts our efforts to live our best story. So let's talk for a minute about worldview. Let's start in a very simple way, kind of in the philosophical realm, and then move to a scriptural realm. The dominant classic worldview divides the world into the material and the immaterial. These two worlds in the mind of, of, of most uh, people in, in classic Western thought, these two worlds, the material and immaterial, do not interact in any way that would be considered normative. Maybe you can put the chart up behind me. In the material world, there exists only that which can be known. It's the empirical world of our senses. We'll talk about the material world perhaps in terms of science. There are things that can be seen. There are things that, that can be felt, observed, tested, perhaps even explained, and this is what happens in the world of materiality. Then, I still think that most people believe that there's an immaterial world, uh, believe, perhaps hope, that they, they sense there's something beyond the, the material world, and but if they hold to that and aren't fully naturalistic in their thoughts, there, there's no interaction in any meaningful way between these worlds. However, the Christian worldview, informed by the teachings of Scripture, include, incorporates what some have called the excluded middle. And in this worldview, there is an interaction between the, 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 the transcendent world beyond ours, the immaterial world, in which we would find uh, beings like God and uh, the devil operating, and there's interaction between that world and the empirical world of our senses or the physical world in which we live. You'll notice in this little, this little simple graph that I had the team draw that these are dotted lines because it, it, uh, uh, from this you can infer that there's interaction between these worlds, that there are supernatural forces that operate on this planet in a way that causes what's happening in the transcendent world of spirit to impact what's happening in our daily physicality and our lives. So the postmodernist, with all their talk about spirituality, let's say, though this seems to have become passe, let's say the New Age movement, for instance, have actually done us somewhat of a favor because they've at least raised people's awareness that what we see is not all there is. Though their conclusions become, uh, um, in my view, uh, f 
not only erroneous, uh, but dangerous, there at least in recent times seems to have been some segment of Western thought that's beginning to acknowledge the world of spirituality, that there is an immaterial world that interacts with and influences our material world that, that are, our material world in ways that are significant. The activity of the immaterial world it, influences our experience of the material world. We could say that there's a highway between heaven and earth. There's interaction that's ongoing. Christians should expect, from what, teacher, what Scripture teaches about this, a mysterious interaction between the spiritual and material world. We believe the spirit world is real, that it has the potential of impacting the big issues of our world and invading the realities of our daily lives. I believe that if we could have our eyes opened to the unseen realm of spirit that our minds would be blown by what's going on in the atmosphere that surrounds us, or what the Apostle Paul called the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms. So uh, Paul uses this term, the heavenly realms, a number of times, uh, uh, several times just in his writings to the Ephesians. And when he's talking about the heavenly realms, he's not talking about heaven someplace way out there where just God lives. He's actually talking about the, about that as a part of the unseen world of spirit reality that is the atmosphere of this planet itself. And there are a lot of things that are going on in that unseen world of spirituality. So, so now from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I'll give you three examples that almost could be confusing to you, but it'll give you an idea of what I'm referring to. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes and says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now this sounds like, there are really good things happening in the heavenly realm, right? What Paul's actually teaching here is through our relationship with Jesus, we can pull from the world of spirit blessings that God has prepared for us, and, and, and Paul's encouraging a spiritual life that allows us to experience those spiritual blessings in our lives. So you say, wow, there are blessings that exist for us in this unseen world of spirit reality. And then it, it gets even better because later in Ephesians 1, one, Paul talks about how that when Jesus was raised from the dead and, and seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, in this unseen world of spirit reality, he now reigns far above all rule. He reigns over everything else going on in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God raised, when we believed in Jesus, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So now we learn something else about the heavenly realms. We learn that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, entered death, defeated death, was raised from the dead, that he now sits as the preeminent authority in the world of unseen reality, and he is supreme above every other authority, and that when we believed in Jesus, we now have our spiritual position in Christ and share in that authority. Now, obviously, it says that we're seated in heavenly realms. Clearly, we're seated right now at, in 747 Northfield Avenue, West Orange, New Jersey. You say, how can I be seated in the heavenly realm? I'm saying, in the world of unseen spirit reality, we are not just physically seated here, we're spiritually seated with Christ, and we share in this authority he has over everything else going on in the heavenly realms. You may say, well, okay, who cares? Why would we care that we have this place in the heavenly realms? Well, now go a little further in Paul's writings to the Ephesians where he says, Ephesians six twelve, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, this is part of why you know he's not talking about heaven somewhere out there, because now he tells us there are dark spiritual forces of evil that are opposing us in this unseen world of spirit reality. So you say, okay, I'm a little confused. What in the world's going on in the heavenly realm? A lot. There are a lot of wonderful things going on, and there are terrible things going on. There's a conflict, a clash of kingdoms. Good and evil is ultimately being fought in this world of unseen spirit 
reality. We have blessings there. Christ is seated there. We're seated in Christ there. And there are dark spiritual forces there. There is a conflict going on. So, in the immaterial world or the spirit realm, good and evil battle for control of the physical world. And this is commonly what we refer to as spiritual warfare. Some of you are freaking out. You've never heard anybody teach about any of this. You're saying, I thought you were going to just tell funny stories. Well, all right. A lot of teaching to do in just a few minutes now. And I'm going to go quick. So why are these forces of evil allowed to influence physical reality from the spirit realm? Well, remember, this this kind of fundamental thought here. God's eternal plan is to live with people forever in a world that's only good and where those people who live with him forever have chosen of their own free will to obey him, serve him, and want to be with him forever and, and to partner with him in fulfilling his purposes. Important to this whole idea of God creating people with free will is that he had to create the possibility of choice. He didn't want robots. He wanted people who would choose good as opposed to evil. And so this planet became the place where that plan was, is, and will be for a short while longer worked out. This all began in the, in the garden narrative where Adam and Eve, representative of the human family, were tempted by Satan and chose evil. Now it's important to note that God has chosen to exist in the human story within certain self-limitations. In other words, there are things he could do that he's decided not to do, and ultimately he's decided this for our good. But he could have forced Adam and Eve to choose good over evil, but that he chose to limit himself in this because he wanted truly for people to make a choice. And so when Adam and Eve chose to say yes to the serpent, Satan became, this is a New Testament uh, phrase here, the God, small g, of this world. And this is another New Testament term here. He became the prince and power of the air, or this heavenly realm that I'm talking about here, this world of unseen spirit reality. Adam and Eve, by their choice of evil, gave evil permission to headquarter itself on this planet and in the atmosphere surrounding it. But, Of course, that wasn't God's plan. And remember, God's going to have in the end what he wanted at the beginning. So God knew that he was going to invade this planet through Jesus Christ, and he was going to defeat Satan, and he was going to set up another opportunity for people to choose good over evil. But in order for that to be done, there still has to be the possibility of choice. And so even though Jesus came and defeated the powers of darkness, the reality is God has allowed there to be a season where good and evil are in conflict so the people who are going to live for Him with him forever in this best possible world are still in a position now where they're involved in this conflict, partnering with God and bringing about his will on this planet and making the choice that they want to be with him forever. God doesn't want people to live with him forever, don't want to. And so you have to have a choice between good and evil. Do, do you understand? I know it's a simple, fast explanation, uh, and, and a Christian sitting over here, he probably could do a five-hour explanation of that, but that's the simple way. Understand that from the very beginning, when the first human beings got, chose evil, God already had, had a plan in place to defeat it. And Jesus came to defeat it. This was one of the primary reasons Jesus came. It was the rest control of this planet and the atmosphere around it from evil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And God began this plan all the way back in the garden. As soon as Adam and Eve chose evil, God announced he had a plan to defeat evil. Genesis 3.13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent, Satan deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers going to be a conflict between 
people born of this woman and the offspring of Satan. And then he said, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So get this, as soon as human beings show evil, God shows up in the garden and says to Satan, who tempted Adam and Eve with evil, who, and who succumbed to evil, and who now gave Satan authority on this planet, God shows up and says, you've heard me say it before, it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger prophecy, right? God says, I'll be back. And he says, someday, someone's going to come from this woman who is going to crush the serpent's head, though his heel will be bruised. And see, of course, this is what happened through the cross, the resurrection, and so on, is Jesus came, the offspring of the woman, crushed the head of the serpent, though he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity because he took all of our junk on himself, including the poor choices we have made as human beings. Still, he crushed the head of the serpent and won victory again in this heavenly realm for all who believe in him. So we're told then See, this is Jesus before he went to the cross. He said, before he went to the cross, he said, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And this is why those of us who believe in Jesus, we're told in scripture, are rescued when we believe in Jesus, we get what Jesus won through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's appropriated into our lives. It's as if we died, were buried, and rose again. Through faith, we connect with that sea, and we are rescued from the dominion of darkness, Colossians chapter 1, 13, and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Therefore, Though Satan in the beginning was small g, God of this world, he is no longer small g, God, to those of us who have believed in Jesus. Only those who don't believe are still functioning in this reality where Satan is small g, God of their world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel is veiled, Paul said, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. All right? But now, with all that having been said, Jesus has won this victory but we still appropriate this victory into our daily lives as we partner with him in affecting his long-term plan on this planet. But in the midst of all of this, the small G God of this world is still fighting against the big G God of the universe and some of this conflict between good and evil that happens in the immaterial world gets played out in the life and the, and the, and, and, and the, and the, and the realities of our physicality. But the truth is that good and evil are not inanimate concepts. Good and evil are real spiritual forces. The struggle is a clash of kingdoms. But we, we have to know that history will end with death and hell finally crushed. The victory was already won by Jesus at the cross. Still, there's a season where good and evil are allowed to struggle. We're a part of that whole thing. But when it's all said and done, death and hell will be crushed forever. Only good will remain. As, as Jesus told Simon Peter in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we have to realize, though, and I think you probably do by now, at least from my perspective, that this struggle is real, that we face resistance. It's sourced in the way the world is. It's sourced in our own sinful nature, which still fights the divine nature, and it's also sourced in evil itself. But part of what we need to understand, then, is that when all hell seems to have broken loose, sometimes it actually has. Be aware, you have an enemy who wants to keep you from God's best for your life, and he'd like to destroy you. Peter wrote, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, 
standing firm in the faith. And this enemy is well organized and at war with believers. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's methods of attack. For our fight is not against any physical enemy, it is against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen power that controls this dark world and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Now, Paul's probably not being technical here, meaning that his intention is not to detail some demonic hierarchy, which some people get all caught up in trying to figure that out. I think Paul here is simply heaping up words to describe the massive and complex array of evil supernaturalism that's at war with believers. But here's the deal, guys. There are times when we know, or we should know, that we are facing resistance that goes beyond normal what's going on in the world, and normal human reality. Times like we feel like all hell has broken loose because, again, sometimes it does. We need to be aware we have an enemy who wants to keep us from the life God dreams for us. Sometimes you'll find yourself having struggles, conflicts, suffering temptation perhaps. That's beyond normal human stuff. Be aware. Don't obsess about it. But be aware that you may be under spiritual attack. As long as you're aware of this, you can access the power that you have through being in Christ to defeat that power. In fact, sometimes it's almost better to be attacked by a dark spiritual power than to have to deal with some mess in your own sinful nature because that dark spiritual power has to submit to the authority you have through your relationship with Jesus. Sometimes you have to be aware, just be aware of the spiritual force that you may be in some terrible conflict with a person, and it just doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense at all. No, there's no human figuring out. And all of a sudden you might realize, perhaps the problem isn't the person. Perhaps the problem is the dark spiritual power that's influencing that person in some way. It doesn't make the person evil. It just means that evil tries to mess with people and the evil will try to mess with you. It may be that what you need to do is not have one more conflict resolution seminar. I'm all for that. You should start there. That's good. Go do that. But maybe what you need to do is to have a prayer meeting. And, and, and call upon the power that's present in Jesus through you to deal with evil. You might be surprised what happens when all of a sudden you start to engage in a spiritual way. Not with a person. You don't say, oh, I don't like you. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You don't fight the person. You love the person. You pray for the person. But you fight in your own the privacy of your own life, you fight a spiritual battle to defeat the evil that may be influencing someone. Uh, I, sometimes, you know, I've, in, in Scripture, there are a number of, of accounts of unexplained sickness that, that where Jesus would deal with the spiritual. Now, again, this isn't, I'm not saying every time somebody's sick, there's just some spiritual cause of that. If that's not true, then fact is not true. I think that what I'm saying right now is the rare case. But there were times when Jesus, before he'd heal someone of their sickness, he would deal with some spirit that was influencing them in some way. It may be, you know, sometimes I've seen people facing temptation. We all face temptation. We're all susceptible to temptation. But sometimes temptation that goes to a whole other level where it's like evil has its hooks in somebody. And, 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 and it may be that there's a, there's a victory that needs to be won on a spiritual level where Jesus comes and sets you free. So maybe you, you find a brother or sister who you trust, who's, who's a spiritually mature person. And, 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 and now this doesn't mean we have to be spiritual giants because all of us who believe in Jesus have the power that comes through Jesus. But maybe what you need to do is say, hey, I want you to come over and, 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 and I need to tell you about something I'm facing in my life. And it's okay. We all face stuff in our life. I, I want you to tell you about something I'm dealing with, and I, I want you to pray with me. And I believe that Jesus is going to come, and he's going to bring his power into this situation, and he's going to break this stronghold in my life. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on like this. Some of you may be facing things in your own emotional life, 
And, and you know, this is common. It's common. You know, we, guys, all of us struggle in a variety of areas of our life. Part of spiritual growth, though, is we struggle less and less. And sometimes we have to realize that the struggle has a spiritual source. And you can't counsel an evil power. You can only cast it out. And I'm all for counseling. If you're, if you're suffering from depression or you're having marital conflict, go get good counseling from someone who's based in the worldview of Scripture, which is where you're going to get your most help. But also know that there may be a spiritual dimension that you need to deal with on a spiritual level. For to completely find what you need in your life. Okay, I need to close quickly. Here's some of what we know from Scripture and church tradition about how Satan projects his power and influence through the earth. First of all, know this. Satan is not the opposite of God. He's a created being. He was one of the three archangels along with... Don't, don't give him too much power in your mind, Okay. He was one of the three archangels in heaven along with Gabriel and Michael, rebelled against God and, 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 and fell. And a third of the angels, from what we can tell, fell with him. These are fallen angels. And these fallen angels do not differ from God's angels, except that their natures are evil. Satan is not omnipresent. Okay? God is omnipresent. God projects himself everywhere through who he is and his spirit. Satan is located in one place, uh, but he projects his influence through a well-organized army of fallen angels. The good news is a third left with Satan, God kept two-thirds, and then God can create as many angels as he wants to. I mean, we're not talking about an equivalency of powers here, okay? These fallen angels are intelligent, but in a limited way. They can't read our minds. They can't know our future. The only thing they know about you is what they observe through your behavior and what you say. One of the reasons our words are so important is that the enemy, if he wants to attack you, will take advantage of your negativity, of your doubt, of your fear, of your gossipy stuff. He'll take advantage of that kind of stuff. But if you speak faith and you stay and, 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 and are walking with Jesus, you don't have to worry about the enemy knowing something about you that you don't know. So be careful. These, these, these dark spiritual powers have supernatural strength at an, at an extreme, very, very, very rare case. There is such a thing as demon possession. I know that's a freaky subject, but, but, but if you've ever encountered it, it's a freaky thing, and I have. I've seen, I've seen, uh, 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 I've seen, saw a 16 year old boy. Uh, uh, my dad and I were trying to minister to this kid in, in, in the bedroom of his house where he's tearing this house up. Saw him pick up a huge dresser drawer full and throw it across the room. And then I saw us speak the name of Jesus over that boy and he was totally and completely set free and, and we took him and baptized him. So, but that's very, it's very rare very rare, but it's real. And there's no other explanation for it other than there's something real going on. But here's the deal. These fallen powers know their own end. It's quite frequently that they, these evil spirits would speak to Jesus out of someone who was, who was possessed by a spirit, and they would say, have you come to torment us before our time? Because they know at the end, when everything comes together, at the second coming of Christ, they know that death and hell is thrown into a lake of fire to be destroyed, and they know their end. All right. Three weapons to defeat spiritual resistance. One is for the keyboard player to play. Hey, it's your first day playing for us, right, on a Sunday? How old are you? How old are you? 15 years old, this young man. Wow, great job. I saw him playing in the youth band, and I didn't expect to see him up here this quick with all these old people on stage, but wow. What's your name? Josiah. I like it. Three weapons to defeat spiritual resistance. Okay, here we go. First of all, be aware, but don't be afraid. The only power the enemy has over you is the power you give him. 
Don't make room for the devil. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 is a powerful passage. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, how do you give the devil a foothold? Well, there's an example. Unmanaged anger is an example of giving the devil a foothold. So you give evil permission to interject itself in your life in some way I don't think anybody understands. When you have things in your life like unconfessed sin and bitterness and unmanaged anger and unresolved relational conflicts. So, so the, 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 it, it's important to make sure that you're following the teachings of Scripture about how you should be living and treating other people so that you don't make room for the devil. Always remember that God is in fact God, and as long as you're with him, you're on the winning side. He's God. He's going to have what he wanted. And because of Jesus and his Holy Spirit in us, we have spiritual power to win spiritual battles. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Know that ever since Jesus showed up on this planet, I already said this, demons have been trembling in his presence, and they still do. What's the most important part of all of this? It's to focus on Jesus, which is what I try to do every week. It's to focus on Jesus, because when Jesus is present, the enemy is scared out of his wits. And so my second thing then would be to focus on prayer and praise because prayer and praise focus on Jesus. The most important thing we can do is to be in right relationship with God through Jesus. James said, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I believe we best resist evil by submitting to God. Look, don't shout at the darkness. Don't focus on evil or the evil one. Turn the light on. And the way you turn the light on is you bring Jesus into the situation. Prayer, if properly understood, focuses our attention on Jesus where he is present, the enemy doesn't want to be, and coupled with that is the power of praise. Psalm 8, 2 says that through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. See, when you praise God, when you praise God, God inhabits the praises of his people. He's enthroned. He rules in the praises of his people. The last thing in the world the enemy wants to be a part of is a praise and worship session in your car as you're commuting to work or on a Sunday morning when we're all standing and offering praises to God. Because when we praise God, the presence of Jesus comes in power. And then thirdly, stay on mission. Do not let Whatever is resisting you, keep you from moving towards the better story that God's caused you to write. Don't give up. Get up every day and keep moving towards the future God planned for you. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Then just remember that, as John said in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world.